it's Lisa Cordoff. Welcome to the podcast where you can expect inspiring, raw, energizing, and transformative conversations with people on the path of personal evolution. I'm here to really live my life. And if you are too, these conversations are just for you. I'm really glad you're here. Enjoy. Here we are. Samantha Sutherland, one of my all-time favorite people on the planet, <laughs> taking, our, taking our private conversations to the podcast is what's happening today. Uh, so I am super excited to have you here, but you're not just an amazing friend of mine. <laughs> you're also an extraordinary person doing amazing work in the world. And would you like to just share with everyone a little bit about you so they know who this voice of wisdom is <laughs> in today's podcast? Hello. What a welcome. What a welcome. Um, I'm so excited to have this conversation as well because, as you said, this is really taking our private conversations out to the public. And I'm pretty sure people want to listen to us chatting to each other. <laughs> Surely. They've just been waiting for this. Um, but uh, so my sort of more professional introduction was that I am a workshop facilitator, change expert, diversity and inclusion expert, and I'm doing a lot of work in the gender space. So you actually recently sent out a survey to your community about Australian mothers in the workplace and the impact of COVID on them. I got 1,300 responses to that, and I'm currently doing the analysis on the findings. And then we'll be taking that um, out to the public and taking it into companies. So actually, if anybody is listening and they're interested in that, do let me know because I'll be taking the results to companies just for free information sessions so that people know how working mothers have actually been affected by COVID over the past year. But um, that's not what we're talking about now. I'm excited to get to the now. juicy chat that we're about to have. <laughs> but you have juicy chats all over town. Like that work is really important. And um, I'm, as you're talking, I'm like, whether working mothers or how working mothers have been impacted by COVID, it's like, oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah. Lord. yeah. Like, um, no, one, no one's getting through that sort of unscathed, unimpacted. So it's fascinating, the results of that yeah, um, survey. Yeah. I've had some sneak peeks at results. As you've shared, you're like, oh, my God, guys, guess what? So <laughs> Sam and I met. How many years ago would it have been back in? I mean, I did B school in twenty. I was thirteen when I did B school, so it must have been like seven years ago that we met. Right. Okay. So we've been around the same sort of friends. You had an amazing um, business. You were actually running with your ex-husband. That's right. Well, he came in towards the end of it. Yeah. Right. Yes. And I was like, wow, this girl's amazing. She's just she's an adventurer. Like your business was basically just like adventures. And uh, your personality definitely does show that. But then things started to change in your relationship. And as we got to know each other, and over the last however many years, we've both experienced separation from our husbands. And are you like officially divorced? Yeah, we're divorced. You're yep. divorced. Okay. And one one child. So just giving people context, living in Sydney. Yeah, that's right. Living in near the beach in Sydney. Yeah. One seven-year-old son. He, uh, who one is? One ex-husband. <laughs> he, <laughs> one boyfriend he, too, but that'll come up later. Yes. I'll talk about <laughs> um, so, uh, so then, so what I found was that when I was going through my stuff, the people who had been through this became hugely important to me. Not only people who'd been through it, but people who had also done like work on themselves to understand things were just like my guiding lights. And you, you were one of them and we were meant to be having um, this chat today also with our amazing friend Shalom who got called into a meeting. Rude. Who, Rude. who would put that above this juicy chat? But I feel like, you know, we can go into the whole sort of 
you know, ins and outs of the separation. I'm not really, this is not what the discussion today is about because anyone who's been through it knows it's brutal. And uh, what I'm more interested in and where I think we're both at now is that we have some perspective on it and we've both learned such amazing lessons that we're, I mean, we're still learning as we move into new relationships and as healing happens and as you take five steps back and as you get triggered by things and as you look around and you question life in general. But there's like, there's this perspective now. Yeah. We're not in the full-blown pain of it, just the just the ashes. <laughs> the reverberation. <laughs> so this conversation is really about those lessons. People often ask me, like, what were the lessons that you got from your marriage? Like, what do you wish that you knew? Or what have you yeah. learned going through what you've gone through? What wouldn't you do again? Um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Yes. And I know when I shared some of my key lessons, you were like, so weird, totally opposite. Or not yes, opposite. But- not opposite. I was that was actually one of the things I was gonna say. But actually before we jump into that, what I wanted to share was, you know, what you said about talking to women who'd been through it and done the work was part of like a huge part of your healing. And it really reminded me of an Elizabeth Gilbert quote that I just love. And she said, The women I love and admire for their strength and grace did not get that way because shit worked out. They got that way because shit went wrong and they handled it. They handled it wrong and they handled it. They handled it a thousand different ways on a thousand different days, but they handled it. These women are my superheroes. And one of the things I've noticed in the people who are in my life now, so I'm four and a half years post the initial separation date, Mm. um, is that the people that I really value the friendships with the most now are the people who have some depth to them. Yeah. So we were talking recently about like duality of emotion and being able to hold grief and joy and a million other dual emotions at the same time. And I noticed that I wanted to be around people who could do that. And mm-hmm. I want to be around people who have some kind of understanding that they've gained through going through something Yes. and choosing to walk into the fire at that stage. Yeah, because it's so hard and you have to be <laughs> so brave. But it, it, like it does, it changes you and yeah. you can't then not have done that. Yeah. Um, and I feel like uh, that's totally you. Like you've been there for all of the lessons yeah. in this and all of the growth in this. And when you find yourself at a point where you're like, what, what am I doing? Why am I why am I here yeah. again? It's yeah. like, okay, I'm off to get some kinesiology. Yeah. <laughs> I've got an appointment booked in next week. <laughs> yeah, I know you do and I know exactly why. So um, I love that. I mean, Liz Gilbert, totes, totes BFFs, even although she doesn't know it. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's we love thing. each other. Yeah, we love each other. There's in a, a one-way kind of way. It's real. Um, And so if I can actually give a tiny bit more of my background um, that kind of led into the separation because there also was this period of learning that came before that. So I got pregnant with my now seven-year-old son and I think there were already the murmurings within me that I wanted to do something different with my life, that I wanted to live differently because Mm -hmm. I joined um, B-School and started trying to figure out if I want to have my own business and stuff like that. Um, But then I had quite bad, I had terrible insomnia during my pregnancy. And looking back, I actually think I had pregnancy during, sorry, I had depression during my pregnancy. And then I developed postnatal depression and I ended up going into like a short-term residential care to get help um, connecting with my son and um, went on to medication and things like that. And then also when my son, when my son was three months old, my best friend, you know, bridesmaids for each other. Um, shared a room at university on college, at college, told me she didn't want to be friends anymore because she thought I was really selfish and um, she didn't want me in her life. And so I was already starting to, you know, I was diagnosed with personal depression. That happened. And I remember walking on the beach one day with a friend of mine saying, I've hit rock bottom. Like there's no nothing to do now except to look at who I am and how I show up in the world. 
got the rock bottom bit wrong, but, <laughs> but that work started then. And so I did quite a lot of work with a, a woman who you've had as part of your uh, teaching people in your community, Sam Nolan Smith, is just amazing. Yeah. I did a lot of work with her and all these other types of healing modalities. And then when my son was not quite three, my husband told me that he wanted a separation. And so it was really like this um, period of what felt to me like a lot of that walking into the fire. Um, yeah. And so so then when that happened, I just kind of doubled down on all this stuff that I'd been starting to do. So I had started to kind of investigate how I showed up in the world before the separation started, happened. Yeah. Yeah. You, things were opening up to you, but... And this is the thing when people like, I used to get so annoyed when people like, you know, it's a gift to, I'm like, I don't want the gift. Take the gift. (laughs) This is way too hard. I don't want the gift. I just want my life. I just want the, what I thought it was going to be. All right. I don't want any of this. Yes. Uh, For someone who might be listening, who's kind of in that phase where it's like, fuck my life. Like this is awful. Um, I got asked not that long ago whether because of how much I've changed and I like myself more now would I go through that all again knowing the outcome and I was still like "Eh." it was probably about a year ago that someone asked me that and I was like I don't know if I could say I would go through it again Mm. but then more recently than that I was sort of doing these questions with someone else and one of them was what age did you wish what age was the best age that you were and I was like, oh, you know, when I was living in London, that was a really fun time and I was just travelling all the time and no responsibilities and stuff. And then I said, but I like who I am now more and I feel like what I'm doing is more meaningful. And I was like, I guess I have to choose this age. And mm. that to me felt like a massive step to be able to say, oh, I choose this, I choose who I am now, even if. I wouldn't necessarily want to go through any of that stuff again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's kind of even like if you look at the whole world right now, the pain that we're all going through, it's like the that wildly optimistic Lisa is, like, well, something good is going to come out of this. Like this is mm. hard Like, and 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 it's going to be okay. Like we, we have to go through some hard things because we're so off track with the way things are anyway. Like it was going to be painful to shift Mm. into a better way of being and we're just going through that right now, like accepting it as part of some sort of natural cycle of things. But I'm a bit the same. I don't know. Well, I, I think like my perspective is that it was all kind of chosen like mm. that it that it was always going to be what it was going to be so to think that it was going to be another way or that um that I I didn't have to go through that I think I came here asking for the experiences that I've got that I've had I don't yes. know yes I'm a I would I think I feel like I would phrase it a little bit less fatalistically than that um in the, I don't think everything is predetermined but I do there is think, free will. Yeah, there's free will. But I do think we come to, you know, I follow a lot of Buddhist teachings. I think that we come to learn some things. Yeah. And so I do believe, you know, some, even when I was in my deepest grief, sometimes I could think, well, maybe he and I were meant to come together to create our child. Yeah. Maybe that was what it was all about because actually we, you know, obviously you have problems in a relationship before you decide to split up, um, before anyone decides to split up. And we had decided that we were going to stop trying for a baby and just try and work on our relationship and reconnect. And then I almost immediately found out I was pregnant. And, you know, I think he was slipping in there. You know, little Charlie knew that if he wanted to be born, this was his chance and then he slipped. Oh, that's, I just got tingles all over my body. (laughs) Yes, I look at my children and think that was our job. It was our job to make, Nick and I needed to make those babies. And he those babies needed him they and yeah anyway but okay so let's talk about let's talk about um now being able to sort of look back what what have you learned from from your marriage so I think 
I learned two, a lot of, a million things, yeah. right? But I, I think that there are two major lessons that I've taken away that I really am trying to take forward with me into the future. So one is that you always have an opportunity to turn towards or turn away from your partner. Um, and I think I turned away more than I realised even at the time. And I think with a bit more maturity and some of the other things I've learnt along the way, I can recognise a bit more when I'm starting to do that and try and turn towards more or even, you know, say I'm feeling disconnected. I feel like I'm turning away. Like how can we come back together? That's one. So you're always making a decision to turn towards or turn away from your partner. Um, And then the other is that, I wish that I had focused more on the things that we did have than the things that were missing. And I think one of the things I've realised as I've gotten older as well is, you know, there's always a compromise in relationship. There's no such thing as a person who has every single thing exactly right, that no conflict and nothing that you have to compromise on. And I wish that I had focused on all the things we did have at least as much as the things that were missing. Because I also think when you focus on the stuff you do have, you know, what, what you focus on, it grows. Right. And also, so it makes the, the things you don't have diminish. But I think it also sometimes even makes them disappear. You know, like one of the things that I felt was missing was a level of intimacy. And I don't mean just sex, but like an actual kind of deeper emotional connection. And, you know, if I had been much more grateful for the things that he did bring to my life, which was like an amazing friendship and a lot of fun and adventure and stuff like that, and he knew that I was focusing on that, then maybe that other intimacy would have come as well. Mm. So, okay, so if you've learnt the the lesson of um, you're always making a decision to turn towards or away, mm. how do you then practise that in your, like in your current relationship? Um, well, I think probably the big one is... Um, recognizing so if one is not attributing meaning right yes. so we can feel like a bit disconnected and we're like oh my god I think this means we have to break up it's all over we don't love each other anymore and like none of that's true that's all story and you talk a lot about the stories that we make up and the stories that we give ourselves and stuff um so one is not falling into the story but then also um you know for me I don't know if you know the five love, love languages, but my oh, top yeah. one is, is physical contact. So just for anybody who doesn't know, they're physical contact, um, quality time, words of affirmation, gifts, acts, acts of service, yeah. receiving gifts and acts of service. Yeah. Um, so my top one is, is um, physical contact. And so I actually literally physically will turn towards him and just be like, mm-hmm. I just need you to hold me. Mm-hmm. I need you to hug me. Mm-hmm. I need you to kiss me. Um and, you know, most people like being asked to kiss their partner, so he's always happy to oblige. But what I feel like I actually am thinking of there's one particular night like about a month ago when we were down at brunch and it was in the evening and I was feeling a bit like meh, like just a bit kind of itchy in myself for no real reason. But so first of all, I didn't like make it mean anything. I just like oh, I feel a bit yeah. Um, and then we were and I was feeling like energetically a bit distance from him and then we were standing up on the top of this like there's a lookout thing at South Bronte and and then we just started hugging and then a kiss but not like a big passionate tongue kiss you know like it was just like a lovely kiss like being really held and I actually felt myself soften into him and it was and it took a few minutes you know and then and I mean sometimes I'm like well maybe it's just oxytocin like is it even real who even knows but then also who even no, it doesn't matter, you know. Then the story could be it's just oxytocin or the story could be I really softened into him and I felt that change in myself and I felt us move closer together even though we're physically already close together. Yes. Yeah. And this is the thing, like we intellectualise, I feel like, after like I can, and I know you, you, we're the same, we can massively overthink now because we know so much yeah. a, about relationships. We've delved right into attachment theory and trauma responses and, <laughs> you know, all of the things. And it can be like, what is going on here right now? And we can actually just miss the simplicity of just a hug and kiss and reconnection. 
Yeah. But, and, you know, I think I think that's definitely a thing. Um, <laughs> someone said someone said to me recently, you know, it can't be all about um, sex or something like that. I'm like, can't it? Like, yeah, why can't it be? <laughs> but but also why can't that be a beautiful point of reconnection and yeah. then get that happening and then have your discussions? Like there's yeah. no right or wrong way to do things. But if if your learning is true, it's like, well, is it better to sit and seethe and intellectualise and do the... Um, silent treatment or is it better to come together in a way that works mm-hmm. and there almost doesn't even need to be language yeah yeah actually Sam Nolan Smith who I mentioned before I remember her talking to me about sex before my ex and I broke up and she was saying it's a real energetic reset you know and I think that that's true and and I mean of course different people will respond differently and need different things for me it's so true And one of the things that's actually been happening with my current boyfriend is I've been having um, like a fair number of like tantric kind of responses to having sex where there's this really big energy shift. So, you know, there was a time a little while ago where I was like just feeling, I call it itchy, you know, it's like I just am like not content in my own skin Um, and it's an energy thing more than anything else. And so we were having, you know, we had sex and then at the end I ended up bursting into laughter and so I was pissing myself off. This is all while he's still inside me, laughing. And then it morphed, you know, when you're really laughing hard and then you burst into tears. So then that happened. So I was burst into tears. And so he was holding me and at first he wasn't sure if I was still laughing and then he realised I was crying and he's also still just inside me and holding me and he's like, what's going on here? And then it all just came out and then I started laughing again. And it was like, oh, fuck, now I feel better. I don't feel itchy anymore. <laughs> I'll just never forget that messenger voice message with like, yes, yeah, this is what happened. And <laughs> Shalom and I like we are so here for this oh yeah like feeling it with you not really but yes all about it but like there's so much that's that's possible I feel a a way different freedom um sexually on the other side of my marriage than I did inside it and that's actually something that I've heard from a lot of my friends who've gone through it so um what a friend of a friend has like found out her ex-husband was cheating on her for 20 years you know and she they split up during COVID she found it all out and they split up and she started seeing someone else and my friend was like yeah they had sex four times in an hour and a half and her vagina's broken now (laughs) and then another friend of mine you know dating and she's got two children and and she was like I love being in my 40s I love being in my 40s because there is this level of liberation and Mm. I think because you, we have been through things and you learn so much from it that there's a lot more of um, a lot more clarity around what we want, what we don't want, what we'll accept, what we're willing mm. to compromise on, mm. the kind of life that we want to build for ourselves. So I actually told you about a conversation that I had with my boyfriend recently where we were we were trying to organize a trip and it sort of wasn't happening and wasn't happening and and then, and then I, you know, in the morning before we went to the gym or whatever, I was like, again, do you want to, are we going to do that? Or, and he's like, yeah, let's do it. And then we went to the, he went for, he went for a run. I went to the gym and came back and I was like, I just need to keep, I need to talk about this more because I feel a bit aggrieved. And I was like, you know, my experience is we said we were going to do it. And then you just said you need to find out about work. And then your boss is gone and come back and quarantined. And because the boss went to America, come back quarantined. And we still haven't booked anything. And I was like, one, do you want to go? Because if you don't want to go, I'll stop talking about it. But two, if you do want to go, like I have no interest in setting my life up so that I have to hound my partner to do things. And this is a fun thing and I'm feeling like I have to hound you. So is this what you think is like reasonable communication? Is this what you want in your relationships? Because I know I don't. Yeah. And he he was like, no, 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 absolutely not. And I, I think you know I don't manage my life like that. And, you know, we had a really good constructive conversation But one of the things from it was like, oh, it was really clear to me, that's a firm line. I'm not setting my life up so that I have to hound someone to do something ever. And so then saying that, it was like 
it didn't feel risky. It didn't feel scary. It wasn't like, oh, God, what if he doesn't like me anymore? It's like, well, if that's what he wants, that's not what I want. That's it. It doesn't mean right. anything about anyone. It just means we don't want the same thing. Right. And you know, also for me, it's been a huge learning curve to actually just state and claim what I, what my needs are and what I want. Like as a, as a chronic people pleaser and in a codependent relationship where I was solely focused on what Nick needed, mm. um, like it was my, like it, it was what I thought about from the time I woke up, you know, it was how to, how to, you know, make him okay. Uh, and then, you know, all the things with having small kids and all of that sort of stuff that I just wasn't in practice of being able to, like at an individual, I I knew what I needed in order to be able to show up for my work or, you know, I was definitely starting to practice self-care and, you know, I was asking myself interesting questions about my own happiness and all of that sort of thing. But within the context of a relationship, to be able to actually say, hey, I'm like, that's not okay, or like, I'm not going to tolerate this, or I need this right now. Totally foreign concept. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely a new idea for me. And uh, it's like one of the most liberating things to, to have a crack <laughs> and just be like, <laughs> going to put this out there because here's where I'm at now is I think what I've learned is like I can actually I have quite a high tolerance for um like other people's bullshit oh I think I can justify it I think I can dance around it and now I'm conscious to what I'm willing to tolerate and what I'm not willing to tolerate. And a part of that is I'm actually not willing to put everyone else first. I actually need to continue the work that I've done to honour what it is that I need. I'm, I'm good at doing it on my own now. I'm good at doing it in this house, communicating it to my children, mm. switching off when I need to you know, all of that sort of thing. But in the context of a relationship, it's totally new. Yeah. And you know what else is interesting about that too? So I think we're probably coming at it almost from the opposite ends of that scale where I have been accused of being really selfish by not just, you know, by my old best friend, but then also by my ex-husband. And because I do ask what I want and I think that that's um, not typically how women are expected to behave. I think it's much more common that they feel like they need to put everybody else first. And, in fact, the survey responses have confirmed that. It was something like 72% of women strongly agreed that everybody else, they're expected to put everybody else before themselves. Mm. And I, I kind of have always rebelled against that. Um, and I was just... Flying the flag against patriarchy. <laughs> I mean, it comes at a cost too, though, I think. You know, like, but this that's is the one thing, of the things that I feel like I've learned is how to soften that side of me too. Well, and that's the whole, that, that whole feminine energy. I mean, our responses to that book, to Julie Tenner's book, Flowers and Honey, is really, really interesting because you find it massively triggering. And I'm like, oh, my God, this basically explains everything that I've <laughs> sort of been experiencing, like learning in, like she talks about how motherhood is, you know, is us in our masculine because, you know, there's things that we've got to get done, especially those early years of motherhood, you know, it's, it's goal oriented. It's like bang, 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 bang. And, and when we're in that zone, then, and we we can't sort of step back out and be in our feminine, just able to receive, able to let somebody else lead. We kind of lose the balance. Yes. And that's actually what I was thinking before was when you and I were talking recently about well, that, you know, the feminine energy and like sitting back and receiving, allowing someone into your life and stuff. And I've been, I was single for three and a half years before I met my current boyfriend. So I didn't, I mean, I had some short relationships and stuff, but not not what I would consider a really deep relationship. Um, and you were saying, you know, I and well, he said this first to me, and I think that that's why we were talking about it, was that he sort of feels like I don't need him. Mm. 
And it's like, well, that's kind of true, right? Like I've been Mm. living this independent life for a while and I've built my support network. And so I have people that I call about work stuff and people that I call about boy stuff and people that I call about kids stuff. And, you know, I've got a really close network of friends and, but also like quite a big network of friends. And you were saying, yeah, like it would be hard. It could be hard for someone to figure out how they fit into that because they have this full rich life Mm. and I have to let stuff go to let someone fit into that. Mm. And I kind of expect them to come on this journey with me because they have to be adding to my life for them to be allowed in, you know. Um, It's a really, really interesting thing. And I think for me, I know what it feels like to give everything to a relationship and I'm not willing to do that again. But how do you, how are you all in in a relationship, but also still prioritizing your amazing girlfriends, your alone time, bonding time with your children. Like, do you know, it's sort of just like. Yes. That's interesting too, because I was, as you said that, I was like, I don't think I know what it is to do that. I was definitely all in. So don't get me wrong, right? When I was with my ex-husband, I 100% was all in. I never thought we would break up. I thought we were absolutely the perfect match. Like I um, and that's actually, I think, something that'd be interesting to discuss too is like trusting future relationships. When, uh. been, you know, when when he and I broke up, my best friend from school said to me, "Oh my god, if you guys are broken up, what chance have the rest of us got?" And it's oh, like, yeah, people because, were shocked with Nick yeah, and I. Yeah. Um, and oh, what, what, so what was, was I. Yeah, so was I. Exactly. <laughs> so was I. We couldn't believe it. Um, and so actually what I'm playing with is how do I give more of myself to the entity of the relationship, mm. I think. And and when it comes to that masculine feminine energy stuff, for me sometimes that looks like um, stepping back as a way to turn towards my partner. Mm. I have a, a push energy, I think, often. And so how do I let that rest, you know? And so like we're currently booking to go to one of his friend's wedding and I was like my tendency would be like cool jump on mine check the flights and sort it all out he's like how do I just step back and let him do that not as a way where I'm like I'm not looking after it but as a way of not just leading with this pushing energy which is my natural kind of response I feel like um the act of being able to receive and allowing to be led like is a massive gift to us and to them yeah yeah we'll talk about your trip to Tasmania well yeah I mean we just had the best trip to Tasmania so I mean I haven't really shared all that much about my relationship only because well I mean it's a big thing to do like put it out there when you're like "Mm -hmm." yeah and uh, but he's been around and been a part of my journey now for two years um, in different capacities. Um, but, you know, we've really moved through so much stuff. I mean, it's been a big two years, let's be real. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but there was always something, there was always just something with this guy. Anyway, so we're all, we're in now, we're doing this thing. We plan a holiday with our five children collectively to Tasmania. <laughs> and, um, and so it was, it's a bit daunt, like taking five kids away. That's, that was a bit sort of daunting. And I was like, oh, it's going to be really interesting to see who takes what role and, you know, how this all kind of works out. I was very curious to it because I manage my children like on my, like, I, and, and I think I just always have. Nick was a really, like I would call him a hands-on dad, but I was always doing the thinking about all the things and the planning of all the things and like this is where we're going and blah, blah, blah. And I like to, I like maps and I like to. <laughs> be I the, like being organised and I like to everything. be the, the front in a convoy. Like I'll set the pace. <laughs> and um, And so anyway, we, we went away and I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to let him. I, well, I was just 
I didn't feel like being the one who was coming up with ideas for things to do every day. And and I just experimented with just not being in control, not having a plan, and he just did stuff. Like, hey, I've looked at, do you want to do this? The the walk is this long. Do you think, you know, they'll they'll be able to do that? Like, just get packed up. I'd follow him in the car. He'd take us on a great adventure, feel like the king of the world. I wouldn't, I was just there for the good time. And like, it can be like that. And I remember, I said this to you, I remember Nick saying, I emasculated him. I made him feel less than a man. I mean, he had a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. So, because my immediate response to that, right, is yes, feminine masculine energy is a thing. And I think for both of us, exploring that feminine energy is a useful thing to do. And I also think these men pick strong women. And mm. then instead of rising to meet mm. them, they expect you to pull back. And I think that's bullshit. And yes, so- but it wasn't. But what I did in Tasmania wasn't pulling back. Well, yeah, so that's the thing. It's like the exploration. What does it actually look like? What is it? Like, so there's also other times where I'm very sure about what needs to be done. Yeah. And that's that. But I'm also open to things feeling easier yeah. and finding an, a natural groove and exploring what it feels like to let go of the reins sometimes. Yeah. Like yeah. I actually don't. And like, and if any of us do, we're deluding ourselves. I don't know the right way to do things. But I think that's where it was, you know, just that nitpicking like with Nick. It was, have you packed? I mean, okay, so we're going to the beach, but where's the sunscreen? You said you'd packed the bag. Like I didn't, oh, you yes. know, it's just more like I thought I knew what needed to be done and I liked it being done in a certain way. And he's like, well, you asked me to do a job and now you're telling me I've done it wrong. I'm like, oh, why can't they just you know, but we're also the ones who were doing that day in, day freaking out. Yeah. And on that, like that, um, cause you know, like actually I'm coming at this from my own personal angle, but also I know a lot of, like I follow a lot of research about all of this stuff because it's mm. what I do for work as well. Mm-hmm. And so what you're talking about there with that example of packing the, the bag for the beach is called maternal gatekeeping. And there is this theory that to get men to step up, Women need to stop doing that. They need to stop the maternal gatekeeping. So we don't think they do it the right way, so they don't do it, and we need to step back to let them do it. But what that whole theory ignores is the fact that there is a minimum standard that needs to be kept in a house to keep children not neglected, right? They need to be fed, they need to be clothed, they need to be clean, they need to have the hair washed, the house needs to be not have bugs in it, they <laughs> need to have clean sheets and clean clothes to wear to school, they need to have enough food so they can grow and their brains can work and stuff. And in a, lo- a lot of the research actually shows that when women step back from that maternal gatekeeping role, actually stuff just doesn't get done. And so it's hard to, I think it's hard to trust, right? So it's hard to just go, I'm just going to step back. I'm going to let my feminine energy, I'm going to receive and allow them to do it. And then you get to the beach for the whole day and there's no food or there's no sun cream or whatever. And it's like, well, that's a minimum standard. It's just not being met. And I think it's okay to have clear agreements on that minimum standard. Um, So one of my friends actually who's in a relationship, they've got three children, um, her and her husband actually, I mean, he's a very involved dad. Like I wouldn't call him the kind of guy who's just doing it out of laziness. But she was like, I think we need to agree what these standards are. And she said, I think at a minimum, you have to give the children what you give yourself before you leave the house. You brush your hair you wear clean clothes, they need that stuff. And like still every day he's like, do we, do we need to really brush the girl's hair? And she's like, yeah, because it's like, yes, minimum standard. And I don't want to keep talking about it. It's just the minimum standard of what we agree we're going to give to our children. Um, and so I think more than just just the step back, I think maybe there's an opportunity to talk about the minimum standard you as a couple agree on for your kids and then you can feel com- more comfortable stepping back. I, I mean, I remember you sharing that with me and I absolutely loved it and totally agree with it. And I must say, I think it's a total bonus um, being with someone who's had to parent On their, their own, own children so yeah. they know 
what's required here. Yeah. Um, like it's not a question. Um, it's just like the things that need to get done. Like he's yeah. thinking the same thoughts as me, like, oh, <laughs> am I going to make something for dinner or is it Uber Eats yeah. during the yeah. lockdown <laughs> or whatever? Um, uh, I think that uh, for me another big lesson has been in you, know how you just have things that you accept about yourself that you think are like it's who it's who I am. Oh, yeah. And actually starting to sort of challenge that. And I think for myself, you know, I, I rate harmony in my house really highly. Like I, I like it to feel nice and peaceful, harmonious. But what I've realised is now is that I, I know what it feels like to sacrifice myself for that. Yes. And I thought that that's what who I was and now I'm starting to flex new muscles and I'm like, actually, no, that's not who I am. I do absolutely rate harmony but I will never sacrifice myself for it. And if I find myself doing that, that's a really cool indication that the balance is off. You know what's so funny, which I don't think that we've talked about before, is like because we do actually often come at these things from almost the opposite end of the spectrum, um, but we met, I mean, we met, when we were starting to do the work and we really became really close in the last like four years I would say mm, mm. Um, when we both had started to do the work and were really deep in kind of conflict in our marriages and mm. starting to you know be these women that Elizabeth Gilbert talks about mm. and I wonder like if we met like 10 years ago or 15 years ago I wonder whether we'd be like you know you'd be like oh, she's so selfish and like brash I'd be like she's so so weak, like just steps back and gives the whole self to the family. <laughs> and then actually as we've come like more together. Isn't it funny? I wonder whether that would have happened because that I think we've so- both changed towards each other and become so much more, well, I certainly become so much more understanding of different approaches than that, yeah, I don't know any answer. I don't know anything. <laughs> oh, but I, I, it is interesting. I would say we would probably just both have been backpackers in Europe just yeah, probably true. getting very drunk <laughs> so in the Greek islands then as well <laughs> whereas now we're conscious of way more important things um, but we would have been good time gals I reckon if we'd, if we'd met back then um can I ask you like if I was to give you if I like I would say that a massive massive lesson has also been that love, like loving someone, isn't a good enough reason to stay married and that good things can end. What yeah, would you say to that? It's well, one of the, you know, right at the beginning you said it was interesting when you put up your lessons and I was like, oh, they're so different and I think Shalom could be so different as well because we had quite different experiences. Yeah. So, you know, my experience, I very much felt like I was left so he did the leaving. Mm. Um, and so I was still probably more of the feeling like, well, why isn't love enough? Like why can't the love that we have for each other and the things that we have shared be enough for us to decide to get through it? What You know, on that note too, though, one of the things I then thought later, you know, sort of a few years post-breakup was if you're with someone in a really serious relationship for you know, three years and after three years you're still really in love and you still really want to spend time with them and you want to build a life together and stuff. I think I think almost any relationship that makes it to that long could make it forever as long as you keep choosing to turn towards each other. Mm. Um, mm. I do think you can't always control the other person turning towards you. And, you know, in the case with you and Nick, when you were like love isn't enough, you had this huge love. Like we both did. We both had these like you said, you know, these relationships that people are like, what? You guys have broken up. Mm. Um, but at the same time, there was like quite a lot of trauma there. And I I think sometimes we can get too far down a path, <clears throat> either together or as individuals, that mean that the just love isn't strong enough to bring it back. <coughs> um, but I mean, for me, there's a big thing around choosing 
So I think when you have the foundation of love, if you both keep choosing it, then that's beyond love. That's how do you show up for each other? How do you show up for the relationship? How do you state your needs? How do you not be codependent? How do you balance all the things that need to be balanced? But the choice is that you're, you want to keep trying to navigate that. Mm. And I suppose for me it was like I felt like my ex chose not to do that anymore with me. Mm. I wonder it would have been so good to have Shalom here to put her spin on that um, yeah. because she it was the opposite for her. And then for myself and Nick, it was more, it was probably the most mutual um, between the three of us. But what do you then think? Because I love Byron Katie's marriage vows of um, I promise to love you until I don't. And I really like that because I think it reflects a truth in that I, like, well, now that we're on the other side and we sort of touched on this before and when you were talking about trusting future relationships is now I know they end. Like when I was with Nick, I mean, my only, my parents, like all my family, I hadn't actually really witnessed marriage separation. I'd never experienced it with anyone close to me. I mean, my best friend went through it and um, it was so shocking and like, yeah. What do you mean marriages end? Like this isn't in my world and now I know they do. Yeah. And I, but I refuse to uh not be in something wholeheartedly even although it scares the shit out of me because I also know how much it can hurt. Yes. When when yes. it doesn't work out. So it's I like those vows of like I really I promise to love you. I I will be in this. Until it comes to a, if it comes to a point that it's not making sense anymore, it's not I'm not feeling it, then it's also okay for it to evolve into something else. Yes, yeah, and I think that that's like I I'm love not attached to yes. never ending love in the way that I used to be. Yes, I really definitely I feel that. I definitely feel that. Like I think that the fantasy of, oh. like I think Hollywood, notions oh. of romance from Hollywood are bad for relationships because so I don't think that's what reality is. Um, and I think that I love those Byron Katie vows as well. And I but I think also though they come from someone, Byron Katie, who's like her whole life is dedicated to doing the work, obviously, yeah. the work. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so she would not be just like, oh, it's a bit hard, I'm out of here. You know, like her promise to love is a real promise to love. Yes. Until until it evolves, not until she just couldn't be bothered anymore. Yes. Um, and I think that that's maybe the difference. Like I, I think she, because is it Byron Katie who talks about that ring of fire? Oh, was it Byron Katie? I think it might I don't be. know, but oh, I no, love. It's Martha Beck, it's Martha Beck. Um, yeah, um, I loved when you shared that with me. Um, so the ring of fire for anyone who doesn't know it, it's from Martha Beck. And she says, you know, most people live, um, in the shallows. So in the shallows, you don't really have the deeper, deep emotion. You don't have deep connection. You don't have deep anything because you're just living in the shallows and life is usually comfortable and it can be sunny in the shallows and it's really nice. Um, and then inside the shallows, there's this ring of fire. And a lot of people, they go towards the ring and they sort of dip their toe and they're like, Oh, that's hot. And then they back out and they stay in the shallows for the rest of their life. Like most people live a totally unconscious life. Mm. And some people are like, that's hot. I think I need to know what's inside the fire. And often though as well, a lot of people go into the fire not because, not just because like, I just want to see it. Let's say, give that an explore. They do it because they get pushed there. I got pushed there, definitely. I was pushed um, there. <laughs> so you get pushed into the fire and you can try and scramble backwards and get back to the shallows and like not really explore. Or you just keep going and you go deep into the fire and you. The thing is, I remember being in what I thought of as that ring of fire and I was like, it doesn't feel like it feels like a circle. It feels like I'm never going to come out of here. Mm. And then I sort of emerged out of it and it was like, oh, this is what they mean by you get through it. And and the thing is, the changes that you go through when you go through separation or any kind of major life event where you are changed by the things you have to do to survive it, um, is that I think all those changes aren't even necessarily that visible to anybody else. Mm. It's all about 
who you are at your core mm. and the things inside yourself that you have access to. Yeah, and I think that's the big difference for me, having been through it. You know, I, I, one friend said to me at one stage, sometimes the only way through is through. And I decided not to scramble back and try and live life in the shallows. I went through. And that's the difference. That's on the other side of that. Everything is different. I, I, I recorded a podcast about how um, 2020 was a pretty dark year. So that's just a few episodes back if people haven't heard of it. And, um, and like one of the biggest lessons is that that hardness, that grief that, I mean, you, <laughs> it was pretty gross. I mean, it's been gross for a little while, but I feel like literally the fabric of my being, it's like the stitches are different. It's, it's a more interesting texture. It's, it's made me. Yeah more like I'm just not a straight pattern and that's a good thing yes Mari Andrew who's a um, cartoonist has a great cartoon of grief and so it's act one and there's a woman holding a vase that's perfectly formed and act two and the vase is smashed all over the ground and act three she's holding a mosaic of the pieces made from the vase yeah and Glennon Doyle talks about that too like you you get ripped apart and then when you put yourself back together you can't put yourself back together the way you were before. No. And I, I'm kind of grateful for that. Yeah, me too. I think I, I, mean, I was definitely a surface skimmer. Yeah. I was definitely yeah, in the shallows. Too. I liked the shallows. Let's be real. Most people <laughs> like the shallows. But then I, I do also feel that um, that richness of beingness, it's it's a good thing for my children um, and f- and and I, I look at myself and the shit I was saying a few years ago, I'm like, <laughs> was I even, what? And this is what I love about getting older. In a few years' time, I want to do the same thing on right now. Yeah. I want to look back and just be like, you did not get it. You thought you did. Yeah. And- Remember, remember Sam and Lisa when you did that podcast interview? You were like, "Oh, all so the wise. rich lessons." Forty-one, weren't we wise? Didn't we know shit? And now we'll be like, "Oh my god, we had no idea." Yeah. Kind of want it to be like that. Well, yeah, because I think one of the things that's interesting is like we, you know, a, a lot of the lessons um, that you learn. They have to do with relationship, but then you're often not in relationship with anybody to Mm. kind of practice the learnings. Mm. And so, you know, I certainly had that. I felt like I'd changed so much, but then I was single. And so how how do you really test it? Like how Mm. where where does yeah, where do your edges get tested? Where's your growing edge? Doesn't show up in the same way. Um, which is not to say that growth only happens in relationship at all, but I think things get tested in them. Um and you know, we're both still fairly early in our current relationships like mm-hmm. I'm just almost at one year and so at this stage you know we don't have kids together he doesn't have a kid we don't live together we don't share money like it's it's still easy for it to be like and then I said that was a clear line in my life you know <laughs> but actually and then like, I just had 14 orgasms in a <laughs> row <laughs> but like five years down the track when there's more responsibility or more shared responsibility yeah. um and more opportunities to practice all the things we think yeah. that we have learned about ourselves yeah well that'll be interesting to see what that looks like and what yeah what other lessons come up and where we get challenged I do feel though I feel confident in the fact that I won't go through what I went through before again not because I'm avoiding anything but because I think I have learned enough that I I might go through something painful but it, w- it would be different mm. Um, and then the other thing, you know, one of my friends, oh, Sam, again, Sam Nolan Smith said, um, once, once you've been through a relationship breakdown like that, like a really big love, like the worst thing that could possibly happen has happened and you mm. realise you can survive it. And then you kind of realise, well, you can survive anything. Like maybe I don't want to have to, but I feel confident that I would. I mean, I can't even tell you. I thought the worst thing was the marriage breakdown. And then he died. And then, and I, 
And so the the actual very worst thing happened. Yeah. And okay. Yeah. Like I wasn't okay. Um yeah. but here here we are. Like the kids are doing well. I'm doing well. I'm experiencing happiness. Mm. I've experienced a depth of feeling that I I didn't even know was possible for me and I was able to navigate it. I actually really, like the the very worst thing has happened and it's still okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, Even although it's fucked up. So tell me, if you had, if you, a lot of people listening to this are probably in their marriages and maybe they're not, thriving in the way that they would like them to be what would you would you have I mean we're not advice givers because I mean obviously ours didn't work out (laughs) (laughs) you want to go for divorce all you need to do (laughs) (laughs) if you um tell me what you would maybe even what you would have told yourself or um, what you wish you'd known like what's something cool like for me I would say whatever you want out of your relationship be prepared to put in 100% that was a really cool thing I started to practice Mm. and um, like don't expect and wait don't and don't expect one thing everything from all one person oh yeah interesting yeah um I would say be really intentional. Like Mm. what do you want? Do you want to be together? Do you want to find a way to be together? What does that actually look like? What do you need to, what do you need from them to make that life look like that? And But what do you need, like you said, what do you need to give to it to make your life look like Mm -hmm. that? And then the other thing um, that I would say to myself was uh, it only takes one person to change, to change everything. Because mm. I felt like, well, he is not giving me what I need. Mm. I can't get I can't get through. I can't reach him and I can't get the level of intimacy that I want. But I could have given him things that I knew he wanted. I didn't know everything he wanted. I don't think he's a good communicator. But I did know some things and I could have done those things. Mm. And I could have been um I could have decided to be the one who tried to change everything. And the thing is, you never know if it's going to work. You don't know. But I had regrets at the end of it and I wish I didn't have regrets, you know. Interesting. Because I remember when it got to the end, I I remember consciously thinking, I know I have tried everything. I know I gave this. No, I will never, ever be able to sit and say there was something else I could have done. I took this to the max. Yeah. And now it's done. Well, and the irony is that my ex thinks that, like he thinks we did everything we could have. And so I wonder whether there's an element of if you're the one who's choosing to leave, you, you, you've done everything, you know, like you've, mm. you, you can feel safe and putting it in rather than just kind of throwing your hands in the air. But, yeah, I felt like I could have given more. I wish I'd given more. I wish I'd chosen to be the one to try and change everything. And then the other things that I said before, you know, like always making a decision to step towards or step away. And I think mm. with that intentionality, it makes it a bit easier to um, decide how, how to approach things because mm. I think stepping towards and stepping to way, away or giving more to a relationship, I'm in no way talking about um, ignoring your own needs or you know, yes. reducing the standards of what your children, how your children are treated or anything like no. that. But, but, you know, there are conversations that you can have and there are agreements mm. you can make as a couple and you can go to therapy together and you can do a lot of things that that are turning towards each other whilst you're trying to make things different mm. than they are. Mm. Um, and then but the then other also, thing is, oh, yeah. oh, sorry, the final thing is that I would continue as much as I could to really focus on the things that were good. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I think for me also... Um, I consciously don't put my my hands all over his stuff. So I don't take responsibility 
for other human beings, I think codependence and understanding codependence and how that can really play out in all sorts of different ways um, has been a key learning for me. Like, like be responsible for yourself in your relationship and and don't have you don't try and control everything or be responsible for someone else's health and happiness that is not your job it yes. is not your job to m- make someone else feel something make someone else's life easier like that's actually their job and but like it doesn't mean like beautiful love can be created it's just that for me I really needed to look at what I believed love was Mm. and I thought it was caretaking and fixing and you know doing everything I could for someone else when really um, my responsibility was to to myself first. Right and so that has also made me think of another thing from my perspective, which is, you know, you sort of joke that we can both um, uh, intellectualise stuff because we've done all this work and, you know, <laughs> learned so much stuff. But one of the yeah. things is um, attachment style is one of those oh. things that we learnt about, right, and I have yeah. anxious attachment style. And I didn't know that. I didn't really know what that meant. I didn't really know how that showed up. And one of the things that I definitely do, do really differently now is when I feel things or I'm making stories up, like I reckon at least half the time I'm like, huh, that is a totally typical anxious attachment style response to something. Yeah. And then it, and then it's like, oh, it's not real, you know? <laughs> and yeah. that and that's all story. But the the thing of being like, oh, none of it's real, that helps me a lot. Like, yeah, the it's all just it's all just in my head. It's all just this is just my attachment style response. You can't yeah. necessarily change it. But you can understand it, and then how what you do with it changes. Yes, um, and yeah. So I actually think that there is benefit to understanding some of that relationship theory. Us, everyone should follow Asaya McKimmy. Yes, sexologist. She breaks down. I had her in the Live the Change group breaking down attachment theory. Um, it was actually so interesting for me to learn about Nick and I were both anxious attached it was just a yeah oh yeah I think my current boyfriend is anxious attached as well um as I is amazing so she actually was my flatmate for not long after handy handy relationship therapist very high capacity for tears without feeling any responsibility for doing anything about them. <laughs> Knew all this stuff, was willing to just talk. And then also she's a sexologist. So then when I started going out dating, she was like, tell me about it. Tell me everything. And you hit the jackpot with <laughs> yeah. roommates. You basically, you moved in with a therapist. It was an a- actual angel being dropped in my lap. I didn't know her all that well before then. And she's amazing. She, yeah. she is honestly amazing. But, like, I remember the person who introduced me to attachment theory was actually my boyfriend. Like, from the very, he was just like, so, I mean, you guys are aware of, like, this was sort of, you know, in the very early stages of just, you know, getting to know each other. He's like, you, you guys know, like, you and Nick knew about attachment theory, right? Like, he was hearing all of the, like. Oh, and he could just see it. He yeah, gave right. me the book, Attached. He's like, you need to read this. <laughs> And so it's been good because we've been able to have language around all of that stuff from the start. And it was funny, I was listening to a Mark Groves live just before. He was just live on Instagram. Um, He's got a great um, page, Create the Love. Yeah. And uh, he was actually, that he was talking about how, you know, being in secure attachment is possible. Like it's possible to actually shift your attachment style um, once you have awareness and, you know, depending on, on who you're with. And so your level of understanding, like just claiming that you're anxious attached and that's how things are, it's not necessarily forever. I think I actually started as a quite a secure attachment person, but because of the nature of our relationship became this like him distancing himself started to mean bad things so I was just like ah keep it close keep it close keep it close keep it close yeah yeah 
Um, so it's it's interesting. I, I find that whole thing interesting. There's just so much to learn and there's so much to learn about ourselves. And I think relationships offer a beautiful portal to instead of just looking at those, um, you know, little triggers and niggly things, it's actually a real opportunity to dive deep into ourselves and what's here for me in this and, you know, what do I want and what are my non-negotiables and, you know, who am I right now? Like so many of us have big questions to ask ourselves on the other side of marriage or, you know, like children, those child-rearing years. It's It's an amazing time for women and we're here for it. We are here for it. <laughs> Thank you, Sam, for having this conversation. It's gone on a fair while. Sorry. It has, yeah. Thanks but for I mean, listening if you're still here. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks for that. Um, I hope it's been in any way helpful. Now I'm just like looking back going, thinking back, what did we actually say? Do we say anything of value? Yeah, yeah and I'm sure I loved what she was saying. So <laughs> there's that. and if you enjoyed this let us know and if you want us to get our other friend shalom on and discuss more things to do with relationships i mean we're here for that aren't we sam (laughs) we are here for that we do it all the time all day every day in facebook messenger (laughs) why not bring it to a podcast (laughs) thanks for indulging me (laughs) oh no this is my pleasure Okay, let us know if you enjoyed it, guys. You can always um, leave a review or leave a comment uh, and uh, we'll see you very soon. I'm sure you're going to be making another guest appearance soon, Sam. (laughs) Bye. Hey, if you're enjoying the conversation, then it would mean the world to me if you head over to iTunes and give us a rating and review. It really makes a difference and it's my intention to get as many of us involved in real conversations that really change the game as possible. Thanks so much for your help and I'll see you in the next episode. 